came out of the Muslim faith, uh, out of the Muslim tradition, and became Christians. And you know what, in both of their stories, what was a big factor in leading them to Christ? You don't know, you haven't read the book, so I'll just tell you. It was worship services. They'd come, they'd come to a church service. They were invited to church services by people, by their neighbors, by friends. Can you come to the church service? Sure. And when they heard the music, the worship teams, they never heard such joyful sounds. And they were led to Christ by the worship music in our services. So here's my advice. Keep on singing. Keep on singing. And just lift up a, a, a make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's King James of Psalm 100. And uh, when some of us sing, it's a joyful noise. So we'll just continue to do that. Uh, just to encourage you there. Um, today is Reformation Sunday. How many people knew that? Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> we even have somebody here with kilts on uh, uh, to uh, celebrate Reformation Sunday. I just want to tell you a quick little story and then we'll get into the message. I got to be quick because the message is long. Uh, years ago, I was going out with a girl and I wasn't saved. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't trusting Christ as my Savior. I didn't know that he died on a cross as a payment for my sin. I didn't know that God raised him from the dead to be my living Savior. I didn't know those things. And I was a Roman Catholic. I was raised Roman Catholic. I went to a Catholic school for 12 years. And uh, I, I started going out with this girl. And she started uh, talking about Jesus, how he was her Savior and her Lord and her very best friend. And uh, she invited me to her church service where she was going to church. It was a Protestant church. It was a covenant church, evangelical covenant church. And I had never been to a Protestant service before in my life. I would get up on Sunday and I would go to Mass because if you didn't go to Mass, you're going to hell. So that's why I went to Mass. Uh, I don't know of anybody who I've ever talked to who has said to me, boy, I just love to go to hell. Uh, I, I know of no one who's ever said that. I know people who have said to me, I think I'm going to hell, but they didn't like it. They didn't like the idea. And so I went to Mass every Sunday. And I went to Mass one Sunday, and of course I, we had arranged during the week that I was going to go with her to her service at the Protestant church. Never been in a Protestant church in my life. So I come to the church, and Pastor Stenberg, who, who was normally the preacher, wasn't there that Sunday. He was uh, on sabbatical or or on vacation or someplace, and they had a guy by the name of Woodrow Erickson to come and speak. Do you girls remember Woodrow Erickson? Uh, I, I've told about him, so that's the only way you'd know about him, I think. Anyway, uh, I go through this Protestant service, you know, and, and it's all kind of new to me. I'm sitting on the edge of the aisle about four rows back from the front, and this guy gets up to speak. He's, he's an old guy. I mean, he's 60 years old, and... Uh, I'm 71 now, so he gets up to speak and uh, he says, today, that's the way he spoke, today is Reformation Sunday, and I'm going to give a sermon on the five evils of the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, you know, Roman Catholic all my life, all I knew was Roman Catholic. And... Uh, and he proceeded to give that sermon. I didn't know this. I found this out years later. But there were five elders in that church. And when he said that, 
these five elders all looked at each other, got up, walked to the back foyer, closed the doors, and voted three to two to keep him in the pulpit. And I said to him, what if you'd have voted three to two the other way? We'd have taken him out of the pulpit, and you wouldn't have heard that sermon. Isn't God good? I thought it was the best sermon I ever heard in my life. <laughs> I told my wife afterwards, who wasn't my wife at the time, she's now my wife sitting over there. Uh, wasn't that great? And she was kind of intrepid too, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, she said that was good. <laughs> and it was. I think I could tell you all five points to this very day. This was in 1969. Pete was trying to age me and I told him, don't worry, I, I don't have any trouble with that. Age is mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. And, and, and that's really true. It, it is really true. So uh, with that then, I, I think we better get into the message that I give you today. As you probably figured out by now, I can talk. And sometimes I talk too long. Nobody's heard my stories? <laughs> uh, well, that was one of them. They heard one of them. And uh, so today uh, I'm going to speak on, uh, uh, why don't you put the screen, is the screen up? Yes, it is. Good. I'm going to speak on these three things. Now, I called Pastor Mike, and I told him I was going to speak on the third one up there, Rejoice in the Lord, found in Philippians 3, 1 and 4, 4. But I'm going to try to get through all three of these in one shot, because I think all three of these are so very, very important. There's a lot that could be said about all of them. Uh, those of you here who are teachers or Bible students know that we could spend hours on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord. We could spend hours on, flip on Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, be strong in the Lord. We could spend the same amount of time on Philippians 3 and Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through them. I'm just going to try to touch on them lightly. And then it's your responsibility to go home and study them for those hours that I talked about. Because they're very precious passages. I've been a Christian now 48 years. And these three passages keep coming up in my life all the time, all the time, all the time. When I'm, when I'm really suffering, I think of rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I must rejoice in the Lord. I must trust in the Lord. And I must be strong in the Lord. And these passages help me very much. As we look at the passages, we'll read them. But uh, before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It guides us through a, a dark world, a, a world that seems to me to be getting darker. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much that your word is that lamp and it's that light that lets us know what's going on. We're not in the dark. We know why we're here. We know where we came from. We know where we're going when we die, and it's all because of your word and the word made flesh, Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, thank you for sending him. You say in 1 John 4.10, here is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfying sacrifice for our sin. Hallelujah. What a savior. So, Father, in his name, in Jesus' name, we commit this service to you. I pray that I can get through this service, that I don't get too long-winded, 
that I can spend the right amount of time on these passages so that we can take and hide them deeper in our heart. For I know that there are many people here who know these passages well as, as, as well. So Lord, thank you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first one we want to take a look at is uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So take your Bible and open them up to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Or if you have it on your, on your phone, uh, I think that's interesting how people... Have, I go to a Bible study during the week and half the guys have the passages on their phone. And it's kind of neat because uh, they also have concordances and all kinds of stuff on their phone. So uh, Bible studies get a little deeper. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall make your path straight. Now, I've detoured a little from that. I, I memorized this in King James years ago. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Do you recognize King James there? Thy. He'll direct your path. He'll make your path straight. He'll guide you. So the first thing we see in here is trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And it says in Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah if you can. Uh, if not, I've got it right here that we are to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all our heart. Years ago, I, I went to a baccalaureate, and this was years ago, this was 20 years ago at least. And a baccalaureate service is a, a service that they have for graduating seniors at the end of their senior year. And in this particular baccalaureate service, they had three speakers, and they were kids from the class, 17-year-olds from the class. And one of them stood up and she said this. She said, I'm, I'm 17 years old, she said. I've been raised in a pastor's home. I've been studying the Bible all my life. She's 17 years old now, remember that. And she said, if there's one thing I've learned from studying the Bible all my life, it's this. To trust in myself. <laughs> and I, I, I just about, I remember that, Annie, I was sitting in the stands. I just about went crazy. And she fell down, be quiet. The Bible never teaches you to trust in yourself. The Bible from cover to cover teaches you to trust in the Lord, to put your confidence in, Lord, in the Lord, to put your hope in the Lord, to put your faith in the Lord. Never ever yourself. Listen to Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where, there is no, where no one lives. Then verse 7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. You don't have it. You don't cut it. You don't have what it takes. Now, we don't like to hear that, but it's true. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, <clears throat> rooted and built up in him, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. <clears throat> in other words, 
continue to believe in him. Anne and I like, my, that's my wife Anne, I'll refer to her for a few times. But Annie and I like Colossians 2, 6, and 7 in the Living Bible. And, and this is the Ken Taylor version uh, that we kind of uh, read as we were growing in the Lord. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, Just as you have trusted Christ to save you, are you trusting Christ to save you? Just as you've trusted him to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and draw up nourishment from him. Continue in what you were taught and let your lives overflow with thanksgiving. In both of those passages, it uses the word continue. Continue. Years ago, I went out to a Promise Keepers back in, well, I'm going to say 1992, 1991. Uh, what I'm trying to give you is a synopsis of of my Christian growth here. And, and uh, we went out there and there was 22,000 guys there, 22,000 men from all makes and models. Uh, we were there. And we had a guy by the name of E.V. Hill speak to us. Anybody ever heard E.V. Hill? Okay, a couple of you. And uh, he's quite a, quite a speaker. He has a way of getting to your heart pretty easily. And uh, he gave us a couple sermons. Then he gave us the last sermon. And he said, men... I want to close with a poem I've written for you. And I'm going to read the first stanza of the poem right now. I wrote it last night. So we're, we're all thinking, okay, Evie, give us the poem. Here's the poem, he says. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Now the second stanza. Go on, go on, go on, men, go on. And now the third stanza. Go on, go on, go on, go on, men. Can you say the fourth stanza with me? <laughs> and we all shouted, go on, go on, go on, go on. And we got done. He looked at us with tears running down his face. And he said, I pray that every one of you will go on. Just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Right, with all your heart is the next phrase. Make sure you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart. I used to coach football. Pete mentioned it. And before every game, I'd get the guys together in the locker room or wherever we were on the bus or next to the bus, and I'd say to the guys, all right, guys. I want a half-hearted message, a half-hearted effort out of you tonight. I don't want you to put your heart into this. Just go out there and fool around. We'll see what happens. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that's true? <laughs> of course it's not true, right? I would tell them, put your heart into what you're doing. In fact, I used to play athletics. I, I played in high school. I went to college, and I was the captain of the football team. And you ready for this? I was the captain of the football team in college. I wasn't very good. I tried not to tell too many people that, but my friends knew it. <laughs> and uh, I just lived on this principle. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Put your heart into it. Put your heart into it. Make sure your heart is there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your 
heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And that's the principle of what's in your heart will come out your mouth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Uh, our understanding is quite limited. Wouldn't you say that? How many of you people in here think, you don't have to raise your hand, just, I'll just throw this out. You think that God is smarter than you. Yeah, yeah definitely, she says. Definitely, that's right. So why lean to our own understanding? Why should we in any way, shape, or form try to lean to our own understanding? Just do what he says. You know, all God has ever wanted from us from the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 3. We were created in Genesis 1, I know, and then Genesis 2 is a, is a recap. It's the details of the headlines of Genesis 1. All he's ever wanted us to do is to trust him. That's all he's ever wanted. If, if you'll just trust me, trust me, in all your ways, uh, trust me. Don't lean to your own understanding. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Don't lean to your own understanding. I said it before, I'll say it again. Folks, we don't have it. We, we, we can't understand it. I was at a Bible study on Wednesday and uh, Thursday, and, and a guy there brought up the quantum computer. Pete, do you know about the quantum computer? I didn't either. He had a, a thing. And anyway, the quantum computer can process 400 bits of in, 400, 400 billion <laughs> bits of information a second. And then the guy said, just think of that. 400 billion bits of information in a second. And then he said, and God is smarter than him, than the, than the quantum computer. That's right. And God is smarter than the quantum computer. Don't lean to your own understanding. I, I have this poem in the front leaf of my Bible, and I, I read it occasionally. It helps me. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is, is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Don't lean to your own understanding. I'm 71 years old. Mentioned that, probably mentioned it again. And the older I get, the more I find myself saying, I just don't understand that. I just don't understand that. I just don't understand this. I don't understand this. Anybody else here? Let, let's, let's take a shot. Anybody else here about 70 years old? 
Okay? About 70. Do you find yourself saying that too? Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, my wife will testify. I think I come home every day and share something with her and I say, I just don't understand that. How can that be? I have a friend of mine, Brian Schwitters. You guys know him. And I would say that around Brian a lot. And Brian would say to me, Dave, I think you do understand. And that's what's bothering you. <laughs> I said, no, I just don't understand. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Make sure that you acknowledge him in everything you do. Right now, Ann and I have several situations going in our life. And we just acknowledge Christ. Uh, make sure you know God's telephone number. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. That's his telephone number, you know. You know what Jeremiah 33, 3 says? That's right. You got it right there. Call on me. Call on me, God says. And I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. Make sure you call on me. Give him a ring. Give him a ring. I call it God's telephone number. I learned it that way many years ago. Jeremiah 33, 3. Just call on me. I know my son Peter. We have Peter, my relative, over here. And then I have a son by the name of Peter. And he's quite a basketball player. And I don't know if you know it, but so is this Pete over here. Quite a basketball player. Uh, last year, Pete's basketball team was playing in City League. And he plays with a bunch of guys who all were stars in college. Travis Jones and, and uh, people like that. And he plays with these guys. And... My son, Pete, is one of those type of guys that if he's there, he takes over. It's just the way he is. And uh, they were playing this game, and they had played for like, they play like 20-minute halves or something like that. And they had played for eight minutes, and they had four points in eight minutes of playing basketball, these college stars. And Pete, who's playing as well, calls timeout, brings the guys over to the bench, has the guys, the, the subs get up all, off the bench. He said, guys, get up here. Get in the circle. And they got in the circle. And my son Pete says, you know, we can't make a basket. At this rate, he said, we're going to score 15, 16 points for the whole game. Guys, we got to pray. And Pete had them all put their arms around each other. And he said, uh, he prayed. He said, dear Father in heaven, the ball won't go in the basket. But we know that you can make it go in the basket. So in Jesus' name, our wonderful Savior's name, we'd ask that you'd make the ball go in the basket for us. Amen. And when he got done praying, Travis Jones told me this story. Travis is uh, a, quite a star basketball player. We'll put it that way. He's about that tall and his arms are about as long as my two put together. And Travis looked at me. He went to Bethel. He went to, and he was a star at Bethel, star basketball player. And Travis told me, I had never seen that before in my life. I played a lot of basketball, Dave. And when Pete called us together and prayed, we were all dumbfounded. He said, we walked out of that huddle back on the court just like, what just happened? There was no instruction about how to play. Just let's get together and pray. Now, if you know my son, Pete, you, you're, you're going to say, he really did that? <laughs> yeah, he, he really did. How'd they do? They won the game by 20 points. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him. Does God care about basketball? I don't believe he cares about who wins. I believe he cares about every individual out there on the court. I don't believe that God cares whether the Vikings win or lose. But I believe that he cares about every member on that Vikings team. That's, that's, that's how I see it. When I coached football, I used to pray with the boys before the game. We wouldn't pray to win or lose. We would pray that we would honor God with the attitude that we had. That's what we do. That's what we do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. He will direct your path. He will direct your path. He will guide your path. How does it say in, in the NIV, which I read, I'm using King James, uh, he will make your path straight. He'll do it. He will do it. Psalm 138 says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He will. I'm emphasizing the word will. He will do it. Notice, I'll, I'll read Psalm 138.8 again. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He will. He, not you. He will. Then 2 Timothy 2.12, and that should be 2 Timothy 1.12. Is it up there? Yeah. 2 Timothy 1.12, that should be. That wasn't Kathleen's error. That was my error. I gave her the wrong. <clears throat> and I don't know why. Every time I quote 2 Timothy 1.12, it comes out 2 Timothy 2.12. But it's 112. It goes like this. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. How many people remember when we used to sing that? Okay, a few of us do. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. But you notice what it says. He is able. He is able. He can do it. He will keep it. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.18 is a very precious verse. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory <clears throat> forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord will do it. He will rescue. Don't lean to your own understanding. He's in charge. I didn't put this up there, but uh, take a look at Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25. It's a very precious passage, and uh, it's, it's a passage that we should all know and, and remember. Isaiah 25, and uh, we'll start with verse 6, on verse 6. This is a, a description of the wedding supper of the Lamb that we find in Revelation chapter uh, 19. And it says in Isaiah 25, 6, on this mountain, that, that is uh, the... Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, I believe it is. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Wow. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all of our faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. The Lord has spoken. Now verse 9. In that day we will say, <coughs> Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. 
Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It says in 1 Peter 2 and in Romans 10, 11, anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. Make sure, people, that you trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is a, this is a passage that will guide you through life. The second thing we want to take a look at is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. They all kind of dovetail together, but I find that these, these passages really help me. So the first passage is, trust in the Lord. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord. That's the first passage. One more time. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Make sure you trust in the Lord. The second passage is to be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says in Ephesians 6, 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So make sure that you're strong in the Lord. He starts out in verse 10 with the word finally. And the word finally is in the Greek is lopan. And it means in conclusion, decisively, irrevocably. Make sure that you're strong in the Lord. He gets, goes all the way through Ephesians and Ephesians is full. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, preached on Ephesians for... A guy just told me this just a few, years, a few weeks ago. He preached on Ephesians for, I think he said, four years. He gave 260 messages, sermons, on the book of Ephesians. 200, I don't think there's 260 verses in Ephesians. But he preached on it, and, and Paul wrote it, and he says, finally, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Make sure that you're strong in the Lord. How are we strong in the Lord? Well, he says right in the passage, put on the full armor of God. Uh, King James says the, the whole armor of God. I think I put the, the whole full armor of God. Make sure that you put it on. Now, what is the whole full armor of God? It's the whole Bible, people. From Genesis to Revelation, make sure you put it on. Make sure you put it on. In other words, make sure that you know what it says and know what's going on. Years ago, a couple years ago, we went to the McLaren Institute down here at the University of Minnesota. Anybody ever go to McLaren? All right, some of you have. And Peter Johnson was speaking there, and he was speaking on intelligent design. And, of course, uh, the auditorium was full where we were meeting, and there were some, they weren't really hecklers, there, but they were, they were atheists, <laughs> were there, and they challenged him on every point that, that he would bring up. They'd raise their hand. I remember one time, a guy raised his hand. I shouldn't tell this story. I'll detour too much. But a guy raised his hand, and he said, uh, Mr. John, or Dr. Johnson, have you read, ever read such and such a book on the fact that there is no God? And Peter Johnson said, yes, I have read that book. And did you notice on page 185 on the second column down on the right-hand side? And he quoted it. <laughs> and, and the atheist just... Peter Johnson's pretty sharp. That's my point. 
And I found out afterwards that Peter Johnson had just had a stroke six months before he came to talk to, at the McLaren Institute. And he was as sharp as a tack. And I went up to Peter Johnson afterwards and I said to him, uh, who had name tags on, why is it so important to know where we came from? I said that to him. And he looked at me and I'd introduced myself to him and he said, Dave, it's the fundamental question of mankind. If you answer that question, where did mankind come from? You answer and solve all the problems of mankind. Interesting, huh? Wow. The whole Bible, people. Put on the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. Because what, what does the devil attack? He attacks the Bible. He attacks the Bible. He wants us to doubt the word of God. He likes to distort the word of God. And he wants you and I, every one of us, to disobey the word of God. In other words, to think, I've got a better idea, God. I see you, you say what to do, but <laughs> I'm a little smarter than you. Which we all know is absolute foolishness, right? We know it's just foolish to think that we're smarter than God. That's what sin is, people. Sin is when we decide to do what we think is right rather than what God says to do. So put on the whole armor of God. Uh, let's see if we have up there. Uh, put on the full armor of God. Why should we put it on? Because uh, we're, we're fighting such a great battle. And uh, is Genesis 3 up there? Yeah, what kind of battle are we in? We're in a spiritual battle. I had to see what they put up there. I sent it to Kathleen to put on there, and she got it all up there. What kind of battle are we in, people? We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Did you pick it up? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not arguing with each other. Our fight isn't against each other. We get confused on that. Our struggle is against the authorities, against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then what are the heavenly realms? The spiritual world. People, this is a spiritual battle. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. God, or Jesus, spoke to us spiritual things. When we're born again, people, what comes alive? What was dead and, and then comes alive? Our spirit. Our spirit. We were spiritually dead. And then when Christ comes into our life, we become spiritually alive. And then our spirit feeds our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And we start to talk and we start to think, hmm, I'm pretty smart. No, you're not. It's God's word that is in your spirit that starts to come through your soul. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle and we always have to remember that. The third thing we want to remember is Philippians chapter three and turn to Philippians chapter three. In Philippians chapter three, verse one, we're gonna read this and then we're gonna pop over to Philippians four, four. Philippians three, one and then four, four. It's rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3.1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 
it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it, and it is a safeguard for you. Now I'll go over to Philippians 4.4. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. If you've got King James, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice, rejoice. Make sure that you rejoice in the Lord. Did you notice verse 1 of Philippians 3? He starts out with the word finally again. Finally, in other words, in conclusion, decisively, this is what you must absolutely do. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. It's safe. It's a safe thing to do, and it's always right. I looked up the word rejoice. You know what it means? To feel great delight, to delight in, to be happy. I know you know this, but I just want to remind you. Folks, there's nothing wrong with a happy Christian. It's okay to smile. Because we've got something to smile about. It's okay to laugh. I've heard many a preacher, and I've done it too. Uh, happiness depends on happenings. Have you heard that? Joy depends on Jesus. Have you heard that? Well, the word rejoice means to be happy again. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, I think I'll use this one. Uh, happiness is to know the Savior living a life within his favor, having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. How many people have heard that song? Just us old guys <laughs> and, and gals. Just, just us old ones, that's all. And, and, the, and the chorus goes, Real joy is mine, no matter if the teardrops start. I've found the secret. It's Jesus in my heart. Happiness is to know the Savior living a life within his favor. Having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. Real joy is mine no matter if the teardrops start. I've found the secret. What's the secret? It's Jesus in my heart. That's really true, people. That is absolutely true. Here's another one. I didn't know which one, so I'm going to use them both. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Oh, happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. People, Christ died on the cross as a payment for our sin. God was satisfied with his pay payment. He raised him from the dead on the third day to declare us justified, holy, right in God's eyes. And now he lives, Jesus lives at the Father's right hand to intercede for everyone who comes to God through him. Oh, happy day. Happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. It's always safe. You're always safe to rejoice, to rejoice. Now there are joy robbers, and we could spend a whole sermon on these, but we're just gonna touch on them lightly. Uh, I was going down the road the other day, listening to the Christian radio, and a guy was singing, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. Has anybody heard that? And I, and I said to him, be careful, buddy. There are some things that can steal your joy. There are some joy robbers in the scripture. The first joy robber we find in scripture is sorrow. 
you can become so sorrowful that you forget to rejoice. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, we read these words, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't let sorrow steal your joy. It can. It can. And you might say, well, Dave, how can you rejoice in the midst of sorrow? We'll get to that in just a second. Because you're saved. Because you're saved. And then sin can steal your joy. Psalm 51, 12, King David said, Restore unto me the joy of, of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. How many people know about David's sin? Okay. We don't have to dwell on it then. He committed adultery and then he committed murder. We would sit here and say, those are two pretty serious sins. Yeah, all sin is serious. All sin is serious. And sin can rob you of your joy. Uh, notice David said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He didn't lose it. But he, lost, he didn't lose his salvation, but he lost his joy. And for us sitting here, I just want to tell you right now, if there's some sin that you're harboring in your life and you just can't let go of and, and you're sinning and sinning, that can rob you, and it probably has robbed you of the joy of your salvation. Sin can do that. And the last thing that can rob us of, our, of salvation is situations. Situations. Uh, with that one, turn to Habakkuk. Chapter 3, and, and we'll end with this passage then. Habakkuk chapter 3. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, we read these words. These are situations now that can rob us of our joy. Though the fig tree does not bud, and, there, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go upon the heights. And then the last sentence says, For the director of music on my string instruments, people, no matter what happens, find your joy in these facts. Number one, that you have a Savior, that you're saved. I have situations in my life, lots of situations, where I feel my joy slipping. And I go to Habakkuk. And I rejoice. I just say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins. That you were raised for my justification. And that I'm, on, I'm as sure for heaven as I'm already there. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you're my Savior. And I start to get happy. Doesn't that tickle you? If they drop the atomic bomb today, I hope they drop it right on my head. Because they're not blowing me to smithereens. They're blowing me to kingdom come. I'm saved. I'm saved. Oh, happy day. What a wonderful thing. I'm 
don't, don't let situations rob you of the fact that you're saved. You know Christianity is the only religion in the world that has a savior? The only one. You can, you can search out all the religions of the world and you have to do something to get to God. Christianity is God came to you. Wow. So, so no, more, no matter what happens, find your joy in the fact that you have a savior, that your savior is sovereign, that your savior is in control. Be still and know that I am God. Make sure you have Genesis 50-20 vision. Do you know what Genesis 50-20 vision is? It was Joseph at the end of his, the Joseph story, the Joseph that was sold into slavery by his brothers, the Joseph that spent 13 years in, in jail for something he didn't do, the Joseph that became second to the prime minister of Egypt or to the pharaoh of Egypt. And then his brothers came down, remember that? And his brothers were afraid of him and they thought he was going to get even with them and, and he looked at them and said in Genesis 50-20, uh, no, it wasn't you. It was God. It wasn't bad. It was good. God's sovereign. And if you ask me to explain the sovereignty of God, you'd get a terrible explanation. All I can say is this. God is in control and that's the way it is. If you don't like that, talk to him about it. God does what he wants, when he wants, and the way he wants to do it. And we don't like that. We, we'd like to be God. If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. I've had many people tell me that. To which I have to respond to them as politely as I can. Well, <coughs> you're not God. And that's the way it is. God is sovereign. And the Lord is our strength. The Lord is the strength of our life and our portion forever. I think somebody read this, this morning on the on the worship team. Uh, the Lord is our strength. We aren't our strength. He's our strength. We trust in him. And our Savior enables us, uh, the fourth thing that we see in verse 19 is our Savior enables us to go on. He gives us the feet of a deer to walk upon the high places. Have you ever seen a, a mountain goat go up a mountainside? I have. I used to be a smoke jumper out west. And we'd go out in these wilderness fires, and we went on the wilderness fire one day, and there was a cliff above us right where we camped. We camped in the rocks because we didn't want to get burned up by the fire. So we camped in the rocks, and, and we looked at this cliff, and it was almost straight up. And we, we made the statement before we went to sleep at night, you think anybody could ever go up that side of that cliff? No way, no way, no way. So we woke up in the morning, it was about 5, 5.30, you know, you go back to fighting the fire. And there's a mountain goat halfway up that cliff. And then he went all the way to the top. And we just couldn't believe it. I mean, he was, he was like, uh, you know, uh, he, would, he would stand and look, and then all of a sudden he'd jump over here. And he'd stand and look around. Then he'd jump over here. And pretty soon he got to the top. And the scripture says, the Lord will give us hinds feet upon high places. That's not how, that's King James. I, I like King James. Uh, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go upon the heights. The Lord can do that. He enables you to go on. Evie Hill, right? Go on, go on, go on. He enables you to go on. And the fifth thing we see in this passage is that our Savior puts a song in your heart. I sang some of those songs already poorly, but I, I sang them. The Lord <clears throat> will give you a song. 
a song in your heart. And with that, I, I want to close with this story. How important is rejoicing in the Lord? Years ago, in 1977, many of you here weren't alive in 1977, but I was. I was uh, about seven, six or seven years old as a Christian, about six and a half years old as a Christian. And we had a men's prayer breakfast. We met once a month for a prayer breakfast. We'd eat pancakes, Frank Thayer's pancakes. And uh, then we'd uh, study the Bible together or sometimes we'd bring in a special speaker. Well, this particular time, and he'd been, we were told the month before, to make sure you come to next, next month's prayer breakfast because such and such is going to be here. He's 90 years old. He's been a Christian since he was 18, so he's been a Christian for 72 years. And he was a missionary in China during the Red Guard Purge of the 1940s. He was supposed to have been killed in the 1940s by the Red Guard in China, but he got out. And he's been traveling around the world ever since speaking. So make sure you come and listen to this guy speak, because he's got a lot to say. So we rounded up everybody we could, and we went to the men's prayer breakfast. We sat down and ate Frank's pancakes, had some coffee, and then a guy stood up and said, well, uh, such and such is here today. He's 90 years old. He's been a Christian for 72 years. Guys, listen to him. He has a lot to say. And he got up to talk. 90 years old, 19 years older than me even. He got up to speak. And he stood at the end of the table. We all sat there in rapt attention. I was, you know, six and a half years old as a Christian. I hardly wait to hear him talk. And he said, men, what I have to share with you today is the most important thing in your Christian life. You'll never hear anything more important. It's the, it's the greatest thing that you can take with you in your Christian life. Men, don't ever forget what I'm about to say to you today. It's the most important thing. And here it is. And I don't want you to forget it. Men, don't forget what I'm about to say. There's nothing more important in your Christian life than what I'm about to say. So here it is. All right, men, don't forget it. And he went on like that for five or ten minutes. Five or ten minutes. And we're all thinking, he's 90 years old. He forgot what he was going to say, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, we... we and finally, he goes like this. So here it is, man. <clears throat> Don't ever forget this. Here it is, man. I don't want you to ever forget what I'm about to say. You can take a pen and write it down if you want. Men, here it is. Don't forget it. Men, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you lose your joy, you will lose your strength. And he went and sat down. That was 1977. I've never forgotten it. I remember it today like it was yesterday. And people, I just want to say to you, Make sure you rejoice in the Lord always. 
regardless of your sorrow, in the midst of your sin, repent and rejoice. And situations will come up in life. The fig tree won't bud. There'll be no grapes in the vine. The olive crop will fail. The fields will produce no food. There will be no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice. People rejoicing is an act of the will. I will rejoice. You say, I will. I've talked to people. I've been a pastor for 30 years. 35. And I've had people come in my office and say, I won't rejoice. I've got nothing to rejoice about. They're in dire situations. And I've said to them, are you saved? Well, Dave, you know I'm saved. I said, can I hear your testimony one more time? And they give me their testimony of how they came to trust Christ as their Savior, their living Lord and Savior. And, and, I, and I look at them, I say, it's a setup, you know. And you've got nothing to rejoice about? Come on. Well, I suppose I do have something to rejoice about. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. For you sent your son to be the satisfying sacrifice for our sin. And you've told us to rejoice in him always. Always rejoice. For we have a savior. He's sovereign. He's our strength. He gives us stability. And he puts a song in our heart. Oh happy day. Oh happy day. When Jesus washed our sins away. He taught us how to, ha to, to watch and pray. And live rejoicing every day. Oh, happy day. Happy day. When Jesus washed our sins away.